You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in historical food preparation methods. Our topic today is heritage cookbooks and forgotten cooking skills. It's my sincere pleasure to introduce Darina Allen, author and owner of Ballymaloe Cookery School in County Cork, Ireland. Welcome, Darina. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me, Peggy. The Forgotten Skills of Cooking, which is the title of a book of yours that I absolutely have and love. And it's such, um, uh, the recipes are fantastic, but the the sort of anecdotes in it and the um, messages that talk about why you wrote the book are just also incredibly important for the social significance, for the cultural significance, and for mm. um, the the significance to humanity of protecting these things. That mm. we don't have a homogenized, unified, sort of single view of how to eat and live. And I think this type of thing is so important. So can you please tell us a little bit about Forgotten Skills of Cooking and why you decided to write that book? Well, now, funnily, this very morning, I was teaching a class uh, it was actually online, one of our Ballymere Cookery School online courses, which we put up, uh, which we, uh, after the first lockdown here in Ireland. And basically, um, it's, it's, was, it's a, one of the forgotten skills courses. And I was telling the students how this whole series started, because one day I was in the, one of the kitchens at cookery school, and I suddenly saw this just coming up to lunchtime, one of my students looking a bit flustered with a bowl in her hand, making a dash across the kitchen. She was just about to put the contents of the bowl into the hen's bucket. Now, you might, that sounds funny, I'm sure, to your listeners, but in all of our kitchens, we have a pot for things to go into the stock. Uh, we have a bucket for the citrus peels where we make candied peel from the leftover citrus peels. We'd approve of that, actually, because it's making no waste. Uh, and uh, we also have a hen's bucket. So the scraps that don't qualify for the stockpot or whatever, go into the hen's bucket and then they're fed to the hens and then come back as eggs a few days later. So she was, normally it would be a good thing if you had some scraps left over to put them into the hen's bucket rather than waste them. And, but she was looking flustered and I thought, well, what's going on? And I said, what's in the bowl? And she said to me, look, I was whipping cream for lunch and it's gone all funny. And I said, oops, uh, let me see. And she just overwhipped the cream. It's happened to all of us at some stage or another. I said, don't throw that out. You've almost made butter. And so she looked into the boat. Now, this is a girl on a five weeks into a 12-week course who's going to be a chef, okay? Basically, she obviously knew butter came from cream, but had no idea how it, how it turned into butter from cream. So I said, look, you've just overwhipped the cream. Uh, we'll whip it a bit more. And I put it back onto the mixer and whipped it a bit more. By that stage, most of the class were gathered around me, and uh, when I whipped it a bit more, it turned into butter. You know, the, the, the buttermilk came out of the, the butter fat, and then we strained it, washed it, salted it butter. Oh, my God, you think I was a magician? And I suddenly thought, oh, my goodness. I was so lucky to catch the end of an era. Uh, when I was a child, uh, you know, we would, the 50s, it was just the end of that era when people were making their own butter and, you know, curing their own pigs and doing all of that kind of thing. And I was fortunate to live in the Midlands where it was a bit more 
backward, and I don't use that in any kind of derogatory term. We were um, we were a little bit more old-fashioned, and when when we were children, you know, we didn't for our summer holidays we didn't go to Lanzarote in Spain or anything like that. We were sent up to kind of Tipperary where we had relatives who lived in the middle of the bogs, wonderful bogs up there, and to get some fresh air and, and thing. And my great aunt Lil, they had a dairy farm, they had cows and all of that. And so she made butter every few days from the cream of their milk. And I learned how to do that. I learned how to make bacon and cure pigs and all that kind of thing, because it was just happening. That was part of their life at that time. So I had caught that. These younger people had never seen it. And I suddenly thought, oh my goodness, this is a mystery to them. They don't know how butter is made from cream. And, you know, you may not want to make butter every day, but if you over whip cream, there's no point in throwing it out. You've made butter. And how cool is it anyway to make house-made butter and all of that nowadays? Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I, so I said, my goodness, I have to pass on. I know this. I was lucky to catch the end of an era. So I need to pass on these skills uh, to this generation. So out of that came this whole series of Forgotten Skills courses, plus that Forgotten Skills book, which sells, I don't know how long it's published now, but it sells all over the world. And funnily, COVID really gave that a boost because people really wanted to be able to do things themselves again, you know, make bread, make butter, fillet a fish, pluck a, pluck a, uh, a pheasant, you know, all of these things that, oh my goodness, it's so wonderful to be able to do these things yourself. Plus they taste better. Plus you have more input into it. And we are, it's very important to pass on these skills from one generation to another. And I remember when I started the school in the beginning in 1983, you know, always I would buy in the chickens and pheasant and all of that. You know, I'd buy them uh, already usually plucked, although I do teach the students now how to pluck a pheasant if they get a present or whatever. I'd buy them in, and with, but then they would eviscerate them themselves, so they knew how to get out the giblets and everything. And then I remember a couple of years after I started school, it was actually an American student said to me, appalled when I presented her with a chicken with the, that she needed to learn how to eviscerate. And... Um, she said, surely you don't expect me to do this, you know, we're all sewed at hatch, you know. And anyway, I said, totally fine, we can, uh, we were showing you the skills, but we can buy them in with already gutted and everything, as you might find them in the supermarket, we can buy them in like that. Uh, but, and I did that for several years. And then more recently, in the last eight or 10 years, it's become super cool for the young people to know how to do these things themselves. They want to learn how to pluck a chicken, how to... Uh, do, do all the various things, how to make stock and broths. They want to do everything from scratch again. Uh, and that's a new, another term from scratch. Right. <laughs> relatively new. Uh, but they, it's really interesting. They really is a craving to relearn these, what you might call forgotten skills. And they get such satisfaction from it. Everything from learning how to sow a seed to, uh, the other thing, of course, we teach is how to build a, how to, um, smoke to build a smoker and smoke your own food, you know, how to make butter cheese yogurt, all of these things. And people get such satisfaction uh, from it. And I love passing on the skills. I feel so fortunate to have to have to know them to pass on the skills, actually. Well, how wonderful. And, and for me, it's just such a treasure that you have um, because I grew up in rural Ontario and many of the things that you're talking about sound very, very familiar to me. 
And uh, I was uh, old fashioned, I guess, in, in my upbringing yeah. and, uh, you know, walked the clover filled meadows of my family's farm. And so that when I, I saw Forgotten Skills of Cooking, I just had to have it. Uh, mm. I got mine when I was at your farm, uh, but <laughs> I, I know it's available online. I have listeners who might be interested yeah. in it. Just a treasure. And there's just so many. We've talked a little bit about it already. Cost savings. Uh, because yes. your ingredients do, like for example, a, a frozen entree will only ever be that frozen entree. But if you have um, some potatoes and vegetables and meat or or whatever, it could be anything. And mm. so this uh, ability for ingredients to be efficient in that they go in many things, not just one thing, you start to get a bit of a food system in your home, just like restaurants and chefs do. And of course, they have to be very efficient. And uh, I think so not only is there a creativity, but there is a food savings and there mm -hmm. is certainly an impact to waste yeah. right? because things don't do one thing. They can go into many things. Thank you, Darina. After the break, we'll hear more about the renaissance of historical food preparation methods from Darina Allen, celebrated author and owner of the Ballymaloe Cookery School in County Cork, Ireland. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. We are speaking with Darina Allen about family cookbooks, food heritage, and forgotten cooking skills. So I, I have a question then for you, Darina. There are um, listeners of all types and backgrounds uh, to the show. And what are some baby steps that we could introduce to start developing using some of the forgotten skills if, if we're just getting started? So I suppose it's a step-by-step -step thing. Let's start with bread. Um, basically, I think it's looking at each item. Well, first and foremost, uh, bread, for many of us, bread is a staple. And uh, gosh, it's so important to buy uh, really good quality bread. I mean, there's quite a lot of sourdough now, but there's sourdough and sourdough and sourdough. So yeah. it needs to be a natural sourdough that it just should have three ingredients, flour, water, salt, and some of the natural sourdough starter. But anyway, if you have that bread, each slice will be nourishing and wholesome. You eat one good slice of sourdough and you feel satisfied. Now, if you have any of that left over or any bread for that matter, instead of throwing it out, if you have hens, well, you can feed it to the hens. But otherwise, just get into the habit of making that into breadcrumbs, throw them into a, a food processor and whisk them up uh, and you have breadcrumbs. You can put those into the freezer. You can use those for stuffings, for a lovely family roast chicken, for gratins, et cetera, et cetera, for croutons. Um, there's so many, panna grittata. There's so many different things you can make with bread. So I think look at everything. Before you throw something into the bin, look at it and just stop for a minute and think, well, could I use this in some other way? Uh, is there something else I could do with this? Uh, again, and for many people, again, they were forgotten skills. And it's really important, gosh, I think it's so important now, this business of not wasting food. And learn how to use up leftovers. That, that's, I think that's an important one, Peggy. I don't know if that's answering your question. Yeah, just stop and think a little. Yeah. And you can, always, you can always email me if you have a question, I'll do my best to answer it. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure you'll get a lot of emails. And I think that, you know, it's part of why this show is called Food for the Future. And it, it sort of has resonance, I think, in many ways. And, and what, one of the important points that you mentioned is, look at it. Is, is there another future there, whether that's breadcrumbs for staler bread, whether that's um, 
uh, salad for the beet greens. And I think that, you know, the, the democratic aspects of uh, really having a flourishing food system in your own homes can't be underestimated. And while you were speaking, I was thinking how important it really is to understand the cyclical nature of food insecurity uh, for two reasons. One, that if we're buying food, we don't eat the food that we didn't eat, that was dollars wasted. But the other aspect is, is if we're buying food that isn't really nourishing or satisfying to it, maybe not nourishing, but that not satisfying to us, we will eat maybe three pieces or four pieces or four portions when one would have satisfied us if it was a wholesome, delicious, um, you know, nourishing uh, item. So that I think is a wonderful addition to the conversation. And then also the other really important thing, which is connected there is preserving, knowing how to preserve and to pickle and ferment and so on. And you in Canada, in many areas, you would have had long winters. Yes. So you would have had, that's another thing for your family manuscript cookbooks is lots of, uh, you know, ways of, of, of preserving, fermenting, making sure that you had a good larder laid down for the winter. Nowadays, of course, there's refrigeration. That's nothing, that, it's not important from that point of view, uh, but basically the people love to make jams and chutneys and pickles and ferments uh, again. And for many people, again, they were forgotten skills. And it's really important, gosh, I think it's so important now, this business of not wasting food. Well, I mean, you know, when I was a child, my God, it was out of the question uh, to you know, waste anything, to leave anything on your plate. In fact, with nine of us in the family, I mean, I remember I had one brother and um, he would, you know, mommy, we always sat down on the kitchen table every day, with little flowers on the table, you know, mommy was very important with the table laid and all of that. It's still a very important family meal. It's still very important to all of us. But basically, one of my brothers, David, used to occasionally say, look, 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 look at this spider or something on the ceiling. And you'd look up and you'd look down and your sausage would be gone off your plate. Wasting was considered to be unlucky. You get it. And basically, nowadays, I see with my grandchildren, you know, they, and we try not to, but basically, they, they you know, don't think twice sometimes about taking more than they're going to eat and then leave it on the plate. So I'm like the, old, the grandmother sort of saying, look, darling, just take what you think you can eat and then you can come back and have a second helping. But please don't. I know we have hens and I know it's not going to be wasted. But the hens are pretty well fed. Basically, so look at just on the way to the bin, open your hand and have a look and see what you're just about to throw out and just see, can I, I bet there are lots of things you could do with it. Yeah, just stop and think a little. As I'm listening to you, there's incredibly important points being made, which is there is a certain inherent economy to nature. And yeah. um, if we rediscover what that is, that's very important. But also the forgotten skills of cooking um, are, I think, important to the humanities. You can get three things out of beets or um, you get uh, uh, something to light your fire out of uh, dried orange peel that what we do is we enact our creativity and ingenuity and we look at things for the possibilities instead of just the, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that it really does all go together. The, the nutritious food, the investment in that you made it, the, the unlikeliness to um, have unreasonable portion sizes on the plate, the ability to reuse certain things in ways you hadn't thought of. I mean, there's just so much embedded in this rediscovery of the cooking skills and understanding the, uh, the food system. I want to ask you, though, are there any final comments you would like to share with listeners? 
Oh my goodness, well, whenever we're allowed out again after this COVID thing, I hope you'll come to Ireland, uh, come and see us. We're down, as I said, on the south coast of Ireland, a place called Ballymaloo. You can look up our website, it says it's cookingisfun.ie and uh, or follow me on Instagram, Darina, I think it's Darina underscore Alan, something like that anyway. And you can see uh, the photographs of what's going on here. But come and, uh, come and see us here in Ireland, maybe... Uh, drop in for an afternoon cookery demonstration or whatever again, but come and remind me where we met virtually uh, and uh, that you perhaps if you listen to this uh, uh, this program, you can, and if this was your first introduction to Ballymaloo, uh, do uh, contact me before you come uh, and uh, Darina at cookieisfun.ie and uh, we'll say hello and uh, I'd be delighted to show you around. Oh, well, I can't uh, imagine a luckier experience for anyone because I have been to Ballymaloo twice and I just feel, um, you know, so alive and overjoyed at absolutely everything. So I, I highly recommend it to everyone. And thank you sincerely for being with us today, Darina. Thank you for what you do and spreading the word and all of that as well. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me, Peggy. Thank you, Darina, for our conversation today and for all that you do for the world to give us an inspiring and tangible example of a flourishing food system. I'm so excited that you've got a new cookbook coming out in October 2021 called Darina Allen's How to Cook 100 Indispensable Staple Meals to Cook from Scratch. Great title. It's available from Amazon. I've got mine already pre-ordered and I know listeners are going to want to do the same. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Darina Allen, author and owner of the Ballymaloe Cookery School in County Cork, Ireland. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? What homemade foods would your family like to make? Something to do? Try using a forgotten cooking skill. Make your own salad vinaigrette or chicken stock. Next week on Food for the Future, we'll launch the quarterly series, What's in Season, as we discuss family farming, seasonal berries, and making jam. Our guest is Shauna Johnson from the Hutchinson Family Farm. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.